0: Hey folks, I am Ryan Goodman and you are listening to the Agriculture Proud podcast. Join the conversation and find all my content at agricultureproud.com. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Agriculture Proud podcast. I'm your host Ryan Goodman coming at you from Helena, Montana. On this podcast I cover a little bit of everything in agriculture and hear the stories behind a few of the people who are involved in farming and ranching from all different parts of the country. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Follow me on social media as Ag Proud Ryan and on Facebook as Agriculture Proud and you can find all the episodes and show notes at agricultureproud.com podcast and And while you're there, go ahead and hit subscribe to get my weekly email so you never miss a blog post or a new podcast episode. Well, this week on the podcast, I'm talking about pests and insects on the farm and ranch. And now that I'm in Montana, I don't have to deal with this near as much, but I remember well growing up in Arkansas near the Mississippi River Delta with long, hot summers and plenty of moisture around, we had biting insects and flies all over the place. And for most of us, controlling these around the house may be as simple as swinging a fly swatter or making a quick trip to town for something to apply on the garden. But these pests, biting insects and flies, can be a big problem for livestock out in the pastures and fields. And we always have planned for treating our cattle for flies and other insects, and if we didn't these these pests and biting insects can make a make cattle Pretty uncomfortable, even to the point of losing weight uh, or performance, and, and oftentimes flies and other pests can help to spread diseases among livestock, and that's something we definitely want to avoid and, and help to prevent if we can. And today, we're lucky to have a number of different tools available to treat the flies and biting insects that that impact our livestock. So on a uh, recent visit to Kansas City, I stopped by Bear Animal Health to visit with one of their technical services entomologists, Dr. Doug Ross to learn a little bit more about these control methods. Uh, Dr. Ross shares with us different types of pest control for livestock farmers and ranchers and what we have available today. Uh, We talked about how these things work and something that's very important to our food consumers, how companies like Bayer make sure that these products do not negatively impact the safety of our ultimate products such as beef, pork, milk, and the environment as well. And so, as you listen to the podcast and any thoughts you may have, you can connect with me on social media as Ag Proud Ryan. And now, I hope you enjoy episode 14 of the Agriculture Proud podcast with Dr. Doug Ross, a technical services entomologist from Bear Animal Health. <laughs> Uh, with Dr. Doug Ross with uh, Bear Animal Health, and uh, he is a uh, technical services uh, entomologist, and uh, that's uh, that's definitely a, an interesting field and something that I'm new new to. So thank you for joining me on the uh, podcast today. You're welcome. So for our audience, a little bit, uh, those who are listening, can you tell us just a little bit about you know what what that role is and and how how uh, Bear Animal Health is working in the entomology field with with livestock and animal animal producers.
1: Yeah. Well. Bayer Animal Health has a very large portfolio of insecticides that are used for pest control on animal, on livestock, and around livestock premises. My role as a tech service entomologist is to provide technical support to our sales and marketing people, to our distributors, and to our customers. For, for people who are kind of familiar with the university system, In this country, on on campus are the different academic departments where they kind of do like basic research, generate basic knowledge. That would be analogous in Bayer to our research and development group, where they do basic research, they develop new products. Then, if you're familiar with the university world, there's also the extension service. The extension service is basically like the interface or the connection between the academic and the research people and the citizens and the producers. Tech service fills that same gap in the corporate world that extension does out there in the university side. We bridge the gap between the scientists and R&D and our customers. So if you're familiar with the university, extension, producer, that's how tech service works. We're in the middle between R&D and our customers. So that makes people give that's kind of an analogy people can relate to. Okay.
0: So, kind of your role is to help us have a better understanding of of the products that are coming out or the problems maybe that that are arising that we need to address. Yeah,
1: I mean, we we develop new products and they come with instructions and they do a lot of wonderful things, but most producers, like if you're a dairy farmer, for example. You're you're in a dairy farmer because you like to milk cows, you like to raise cows, you want to milk cows. You don't want to become an expert on insect control. It's kind of like you and I, you know, we have to file income tax return, but we don't want to become tax accountants. So we, most people, go to somebody to do their taxes because you don't want to be an expert on taxes. A dairy farmer or a cow calf operator doesn't want to be an expert on insect control, so he looks to companies like Bayer and people like me to tell them how to do that. So we try and take all these products that we have for different problems and come up with, say, simple programs, you know, simple systems to make it easy for them to use our products.
0: No, that definitely makes sense. Um, kind of, was, and that pest control has, insect control has, a, you know, several different places and it impacts a lot of the livestock industry. Um, I know we think of fly tags, you know, as a, as a as a, an opportunity where livestock producers, you know, ha- have to control a pest. What, what are some of the other types of, of products that might be involved under that umbrella?
1: Man, let me just answer that a little bit, in a little bit different direction than you started. Yeah. We, we break this down into, into four areas which my marketing colleagues came up with a term they call it defense point. Basically, in, in any kind of livestock operation, there's, there's four different areas where you can combat, fight insects. One is on the animals themselves, and fly tags are a perfect example of that, something you put on the animals. Another one would be like a poron insecticide. Then there's also what we call the other, second defense point would be the facilities. Those are in the buildings where the livestock live or pass through, for example. In the, in the poultry industry, in broiler houses, there's a big problem with an insect called darkling beetle. We sell products to use inside broiler houses to control darkling beetles. Third defense point is what we call the environment. That would be outside the facilities. A lot of pests live outside all the time or live outside and can come into the, the different facilities. So there, there's other tools we have where you can control insects in the environment. And fourth defense point involves products that you actually feed to livestock. Uh, best example was a product we call Rabon oral larvicide. This material goes into the feed for cattle. It actually passes through the cattle and comes out into the manure. And there's, there's certain flies like horn flies and face flies that actually develop in cattle manure so if a cow has been eating feed or mineral with Rabon oral larvicide in it, it will kill the developing fly maggots in the manure so no flies ever come out. So we try to give producers an idea of the different places they can apply insect control products to so those four points. Now within each of those points there are several options.
0: No, that's, that's a good explanation of it. And, and yeah, thank you for kind of guiding back to that step because that's important to recognize the different options yeah. um, that are out there. So w- one question that kind of comes to mind, I've, I've got a little bit of a consumer audience that may not be involved too much in ag. When we hear about using these insecticides or these different chemicals and in, in trying to control pests, um, is there is there a, a, you know, a threat to safety or the environment? I'm sure that you kind of look at some of those things as you're developing these products.
1: Right. Well, all insecticide products are regulated by the EPA and A lot of people start rolling their eyes when they hear that, but in order to get an insecticide product approved for use, any use, whether it's on an animal, around a building, out in the environment, it goes through all kinds of testing. And the the basic different kind of testings they have, one is to make sure that the product works, that it's efficacious, that it does what it claims to do. Also look at the safety of the product, number one, to the animals it's being applied to, and then number two, to the people who apply it. So there's there studies that are done to check out all three of those areas to make sure that it is effective and safe. And then depending on the outcome of those studies, that determines the type of language on the label and the directions for use to make sure that it can be applied properly and safely whether it's to an animal, a building or the environment.
0: So there's there's a lot of checks and balances in there. Oh, and yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Making sure that those products are safe and effective.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, very very strictly regulated.
0: Mhm. Well, that's that's good to hear cuz we've people expressing those concerns, but it's uh, it's good to talk about yeah. the steps behind that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and a lot of people, like I said, when you talk about EPA or something, they'll they'll roll their eyes and they know another government bureaucracy, yada yada yada. And it is a big bureaucracy, but there are very strict regulations in place that that govern how these things have to be developed, what what studies have to be done, what hurdles have to be overcome, what you have to demonstrate as far as safety and effectiveness before you'll get an approval to sell the product.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And it's that that's a good thing to kind of have that those standards in oh. place and yeah, go through oh, all
1: that. And the other thing that's also looked at, I'm sh- I, sorry, surprised I didn't mention this, was for on animal products to make sure that there's no harmful residues in the animals which we eat mm-hmm. as a result of using these products. Yep. That's probably what more people care about, at least as much as all those other things put together. With, with you know, I mean, the, the obvious example: people were concerned about antibiotics in their meat, which is we don't want to go there today. But <laughs> same thing is true of pesticides. There's a, always a potential for residue when you apply a chemical to an animal, whether it's an antibiotic or an insecticide. And the EPA regulations, as well as addressing efficacy and safety, address residues or make sure there's no harmful residues of those products on the. Whatever you eat from an animal that's been treated,
0: and we make sure that those withdrawal times are appropriate before we ever start giving this to, to animals. Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, what, what, if you applied product as you're supposed to, when that animal is slaughtered and whatever part of that animal shows up in the grocery store for you and me to buy, it doesn't have any residues to be concerned about.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that's an important thing. We, a good message we're trying to get across. Right. In, in, have be sure that you know can believe in the system and yeah. the, the processes and the yeah. steps that go into
1: that. Yeah, another thing to remember, I think sometimes consumers might think that producers are going to maybe use more of a product than they should or than they need to. Like if a pound's good, 2 pounds is better, that kind of mentality. Everybody needs to remember that livestock producers, they're they're in business to make a profit, okay? And they're in, they're in this business because they they care about the animals they raised. And if they didn't care about it, they wouldn't be in business in the first place. So they're not going to, number one, spend any more money than they have to to achieve the result they're trying to get, for example, insect control. And number two, they want to be able to sell a safe product to the consumers. If they can't do that, they're going to be out of business. So they're not going to do anything, you know, rash that would lead to a you know, problem resulting from misuse or overuse of a product, there's no, no reason for them to do that. Yeah. No logical, no economic reason for them to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah it's that's uh, definitely yeah. You don't want to use more than you have to because it, it does cost to use yeah. these things and we want to make sure that we're good stewards of, of the tools and get to keep them around and keep them effective. So.
1: Yeah. And, and all the studies we do to get a product approved, the label tells you how much you need to use, so the product works, and that quantity that you use has already been tested and reviewed, and we know that that doesn't create any safety or residue concerns. So it's in nobody's benefit to use more. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure, exactly. Well, is there anything else you wanted to include today? Just those things about how we try to make it easy for our customers to use our product safely, and how when. Our products get used as they're designed to be used. They do the job for our customers and then for the consumers of the products that these guys are raising, they get a quality product to consume.
0: Okay. Well, Dr. Doug Ross with uh, Bear Animal Health, I certainly appreciate you joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Doug Ross, a technical services entomologist from Bayer Animal Health. I want to take a moment to especially thank Bayer for helping me make this contact. They supported the podcast through a portion of my travel to Kansas City. And I certainly appreciate the help in getting to share a little more educational material with you from experts in our industry. Be sure to take a look at the show notes for this episode at agricultureproud.com podcast. Just look for episode 14. I'll have links to more information about livestock entomology from several university extension programs across the country. And I hope you'll stay tuned during the next few weeks as I have more information about how these pests, flies, and biting insects impact our livestock's health and what farmers and ranchers can do to help take care of them. Well, that's all I have for this week. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. And as always, you can connect with me on social media as Ag Proud Ryan and on Facebook as Agriculture Proud. Until next time, this is Ryan Goodman with the Agriculture Proud podcast.